0: your bibles you can turn to first corinthians chapter 11 that's where we'll be today uh, i do want to wish you all a happy mother's day and apologize in the same sentence because i'm doing something i've never done today for mother's day and that's not preach a mother's day specific sermon uh so we're did i get an amen for someone be careful brother in the front row that's dangerous territory uh normally every year this year I felt the conviction just to continue on through first corinthians as we have Dad should be appreciative maybe of this. I used to, Sean Fields was always my favorite with this. Every Mother's and Father's Day, he would go, oh yes, the designated Mother's and Father's Day sermon. I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh, it happens every year. You get up for Mother's Day and say, Moms, you're awesome, you're the best. Let's give them a round of applause and do all that. And then it comes to Father's Day and it's like, step it up, you worthless deadbeat. You know, come on, you can do much better than this right here. Uh, So um, won't do that today, but we do appreciate all of you. We're continuing our series, Uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians since the beginning of the year. Hopefully it has not felt like that, Uh, but uh, we've been breaking it up into different series. Why? Because it's a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a specific church that he planted, started, got it going and stuff. Uh, And so he's writing this letter, giving instruction after he's left. And so it's a letter where he's responding to stuff, addressing stuff. And so as the letter goes, it, it covers themes throughout, He's addressing certain things. And so we've been walking through the different themes he's been on. And and this theme over the the past uh, Sunday and, and several other weeks, he's talking about worship. Well, what is worship? What should it be like? Certain things specifically to their church. And we say, well, how do we take what's going on in their church and apply it to us? We have to read through their context and their lens to understand how it then goes to us. And so uh, the, the, the theme has been, for me, is, is heart of worship. How do we get back to what worship should be? There's a lot of things in our culture and world that we come and say, this is what worship should be, should look like. But the reality is God defines for us what worship should be. He's the one who gets to decide what it is. I think of it a lot like this. Like, I, I, I think I have a very strong opinion on what it looks like to express love. I can tell you with my wife, the way I think it is, is very wrong, <laughs> Why? Because we have different love languages. And as much as I try, it's even funny with the elders and stuff we get together because I'll tell you, my, my biggest weakness is pastoral care. Because when people are hurting or going through difficult times, I respond in the way that I want to be responded to, which is leave me alone, don't talk to me. I've come to learn 90% of the time that's wrong. <laughs> Praise God for elders go no, Eric, this is how we should do it. I'm like, I'm going with you because you know better than I do on this. Um, and, and so same thing with worship. God has a very strict understanding of what worship should look like. And so we've been walking through characteristics that it should look like in worship. And last week, because it ties in, I'm not reteaching what's going on last week, but worship should cause us to focus on God which is a weird text. If you look at last week, he talks about the veils that women should wear. I'm not getting into it again. Trust me. I'm not touching that one again. But, but the whole thing is there should be an order to worship and stuff going on that causes us to draw our focus to God. And this one builds on it. It's in the same chapter. I think it builds on what he's going at. Uh, before we jump into that, I have to ask you a group question just to kind get you talking. Uh, and I'd love for you to do this with the person next to you because I know all of you are going to be itching to get it out of your system. And here it is. In, in regards to disrespect, What is a pet peeve of yours? Come on, I know you got one. Some of you are like, oh, this just sets me off. Take a second with the person next to you, maybe the person you came with, or maybe if you're by yourself, just talk to yourself and just get it out of the system. Someone heard you, okay? In regards to disrespect, what's your biggest pet peeve? I feel like I just created a generational gap in the room, uh, maybe because growing up you probably had different stuff. Um, what one for me? I'll never forget my last church. I don't know why it was just like, man, that kind of it just crawled all over me. Uh, one of my former, one of my students in the student ministry uh, would not call his dad dad. He would call him by his first name, and so he would go, "Hey, Danny, Danny, Danny," and I said, "Colby, what did you say?" He goes, "Danny." I go, "No, that's that's your dad." He goes, "No, I don't call him dad. That's weird." I said, dude, that's your dad, man. You got to call him dad. And it just like crawled up. I don't know why. Call me old school. And he did the same thing to his mom. And uh, we practiced in Old Testament stoning. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, It really bothered me. I was like, man, why aren't you doing this? Um, Maybe some of you growing up, it was sir or ma'am. Whether what you say, uh, maybe it was whether or not you shook hands when you first greeted, or how you shook hands, all those sorts of stuff, what, whatever it might be. Um, it's funny, when I go to my family in West Texas, even culturally there, uh, a bunch of country people and stuff, there are the things that they get very adamant about that is seen as disrespectful. Well, let me ask like this, but well, let's move that more specifically in-house here. What about at church? And I don't want you to discuss this, I want you to think about it. What are things that you would see as disrespectful? Maybe you've grown up seeing as disrespectful at church when it comes, a, a pet peeve. My, my favorite one was always hearing, uh, no running in the church because God does not bless running in his house. <laughs> Brisk walks are okay, walk jogging, but do not run in the house of God because he will smite thee, right? Um, Maybe hats. I remember hats being a thing, man. People get really fired up. And I'm like, okay, God doesn't want me to wear my hat. Or, or coffee. And as we now serve coffee, I remember growing up, my, my dad, the first time he went into a church and had coffee, there was kind of a sense of like, this is wrong. We shouldn't drink coffee in the house of God. Like, what's going on? It's like, no, the Lord loves it because it wakes you up. This is good. It keeps you in tune. The pastor's for this, I promise. What about sleeping during a sermon? Yes, I know who you are. The lights are on. I can see you. And just because you sit in a back row does not mean you're far. My eyesight's still good, okay? Maybe, maybe that's, that's it. There are things, whether we want to acknowledge them or not, that deep down either we we're raised with or we believe that are come to standards and what it should look like in worship and church, right? You, you were raised or taught that. The, the real question that comes to us is this does worshiping God? have certain standards? Does God have certain expectations or is it just come as we are or, or is it come as he demands? Which is it? We're very much seeing more and more cultural shift where it's just do come as you are, man, God wants you as you are, and there, there's a truth to that. But at the same time, God is not a God of your own making and get to worship by your own desire, however you want it to be. God gives some sense of clear parameters what it is. And so today we're reading a letter, uh, part of the letter that Paul wrote in Luke chapter, 11, sorry, not Luke, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34, uh, of a church that got, I- I'd say it like this, maybe a little too comfortable. And-, and so follow along with me, we'll try to unpack it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through uh, 34. It says, now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Like well, to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there, there's divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So, so one person is hungry while, while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes which to eat and drink? Or, or do you despise the, uh, the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I I do not praise you in this manner. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In, In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Like, let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat bread and, and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. Like if we're properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned by the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together, eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I, I will give you instructions about the other matters when I come. What, what's going on here? A lot and we'll get to it in just a second. But the big idea I want you to see is Paul's talking about a specific issue in the church where they're, they're, they're having issues when it comes to the Lord's Supper and how it is. But there's a deeper issue. Again, there's an underlying principle that applies to us all, and it's this, as you see on the screen, the big idea, is that worship should always show reverence. Not only should worship always cause us to focus God, but when you begin to focus more and more on God, the response you should naturally see come is a sense of reverence. I don't know if you know what that word means, and, and it's been so lost, honestly, in our culture. It means profound respect, love, deep admiration. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you right now, if you Google worship, you will not be able to find a single definition, does not have reverence as a part of the descriptor of what's going on. You cannot have worship without reverence being a part of what's going on. It always leads us back. And so you may say, well, where do I get that? Well, let's, let's go through and unpack the text, and then I'll pull out some key points that helps point to this truth that worship should always show reverence. Paul starts in verse 17. Uh, more, you have to understand, this is a letter. It's all meant to be one reading as, as one smooth outline going on. Paul starts in chapter 11, verse 1, where he does applaud them. He says, now, I praise you because you remember me in everything. Now now understand that's in the same chapter. He's like, I praise you because you remember me. You remember my teachings, you remember what i am taught you. But then in verse 17, he says this, but I do not praise you for something else. This would have caught their attention. Listen, you guys are doing awesome at this, but right here you're really dropping the ball. And he says, when you get together, it's not for the better, it's it's actually for the worse. Instead of edifying and building up the church, you're destroying it. And he begins to say more. He says, "For to begin with, I hear when you come together, there are divisions among you. You're you're supposed to be the body of Christ, and yet you're separating each other by the way you act and behave. He says, I believe it. Indeed, as a matter of fact, this probably should be happening. Because why? Because if there's divisions going on, it should be by those who are living as they should and shouldn't. It should be some sense of, listen, you guys are not doing what you should. You should. It should be visible to all, is what he's saying. He says, when you come together and you say that you're worshiping, you're taking the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Instead, what are you doing? He says, for a meal, one eats his own supper. He says, so one person's hungry while another gets drunk. He says some of you guys are getting together and stuffing yourself and making fools while others are coming starving already. And and when they get there, they're they're drunk. Now listen, this is completely foreign to us, but you have to put yourself in their culture and context. Church service like we see now is not what they had in in, in first century when when they had uh, when Jesus was alive, or sorry, when uh, this was written churches were held at home. You would have house churches because that, that's how they had to have. And so you would have large patrons, people who, who were wealthy would have the biggest house and you would say, let's meet at your house and have our church service. And so we'd meet there and when they meet there, it would be very familial where they'd sit in almost like a family style dinner. Everyone would sit around the table. You would eat, you would teach, and you would have the Lord's Supper right there at the table. So when we take Lord's Supper, it's very foreign to us. We're last Sunday we all said, grab your mini cup. Everyone got it. That No one looks at that as like a meal. But Jesus, when he does it, redefines and gives a whole new picture of an everyday meal they have to point back to the gospel truth of who he is and what he's doing. So, so imagine for a minute you've got a church of, say, low-end 10, high-end 50 people in this house. And what's going on is people who are more affluential, who had means, didn't have to work all day so they'd be able to show up to the party early. And guess what happens? You have all these successful, very affluential people meeting together. They're enjoying one another. They're starting the Lord's Supper a little early, drinking a little bit, stuffing themselves. They're getting drunk. What happens later in the day when it's actually time to have service? You have the lower social class, slaves and other people that come. They're exhausted from work. They're walking in. What happens? All the food's gone. A party's been had without them. And people are drunk enjoying themselves. Picture yourself in this situation. What would you see going on? It would be very, much so us and them, people being left out. And, and Paul's saying, this is not what Jesus had in mind. This, this is not it. Like, if you want to eat, go eat at home, okay? You want to get drunk, go get drunk at home. You want to do that? This is not the place to do this. You're completely destroying everything that Christ died for and gave. He says, you're missing the boat. And I love, he says through the end of of verse 22, he's like, you want praise? You want me to give you an attaboy? He talks about later about they're puffed up, they're so full of themselves. Like, you really want to give, you want me to tell you how awesome you are? And this is what I'm seeing coming in. You have the elite against the not so elite and people are being divided and you you don't care. You see people who are struggling to make ends meet and you're stuffing yourself with having to unbutton your belt because you've eaten too much and they're dying of starvation. And you're like, eh, I don't care. Do, Do you see why Paul's, Getting a little peeved right here, if you will, something's off kilter. So, verse twenty-three on, he begins to tell him, says, "Listen, I, I want to tell you what Jesus, what I taught you about the Lord's Supper is what Jesus passed on to us. He, he's what he passed on to us." He begins to unpack and tell him about the body and the blood and what it's supposed to. Do. It's supposed to point to Jesus. Is supposed to be unifying. It's supposed to bring people together. So he says in the end, he says, "So if anyone." wants to drink the cup in an unworthy manner, he'll he'll be guilty of sin. Listen, he's saying in some sense, to not show reverence to God in his house is a sin. Don't call it anything else. It's wrong. To not look at your other brother who's struggling and recognize their needs, and you go on with your life, it's wrong. This is not okay. He even says in verse 30, he says, this is why, like, you know what, this is God's judgment coming. Some of you have gotten sick because of this behavior. Some have even died. Now, now listen, some people try to take this and run too far. P- please don't ever do this. I give Paul credit because he could do this. Why? Because, I don't know, he wrote a good portion of the Bible, so I'll give him a little bit of sway to come and say stuff like this. But make no mistake, God does sometimes bring about his judgment on earth in different ways. Not all the time. And it's dangerous to look at people and stuff in their life and go, man, this must be because of sin in their life this has gone on. They died because they listen, don't run with that too much farther than you should on any of that. But Paul's saying, listen, God will bring about judgment. He's like, it's better that you examine yourself and judge yourself so that God doesn't have to do it and enact discipline on your life. There's an issue here. Ultimately, he's coming back to the big idea is this. He's like, worship should always show reverence. Our worship, first and foremost, should always show reverence towards God. He says in verse 27. So whoever eats or bread and drinks the cup of the Lord, what, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood. A lot of people ask, well, does God, doesn't God just want me to come as I am? Doesn't he want me to be comfortable? Like, do I have to dress a certain way? Like, listen, we want you to come as you are. God, God is very familiar. God wants you to be comfortable with him. And too often we take it too far. Put, put that picture up where we want to look at Jesus like this. Right? Right? Jesus my homeboy. You know? We're tight like that. Can, can I just say real quick, listen, as fun and as great as this, Jesus is not your homeboy. You know why? Because he's not your equal. He's not your peer. He's different. And if you always look at him as just your homeboy, you will never be able to show him the reverence he deserves. And you might say, well, why is this difficult for us to grasp? And why is it both and? Hey, yes, God wants me to be comfortable but at the same time. No, because listen, think of just the term that we often use, you see in scripture, Father God. It's a very fitting term to describe God. Father is a a term that is familiar. It means comfort, relationship, love. Jesus came and died on the cross so that you can have a relationship with him. Do not miss that. Do not miss that. He is father. He wants you to be comfortable. He wants you to talk to him in the secret of your closet, in in private of one. He wants to be with you. But don't neglect the other word. What? He's also God. He's he's, God. God. He's divine, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's infinite, he's just. He, He is God who stepped down from heaven, paid a price on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. And there's this balance. When we come to God, it's both familiar relationship but reverence at the same time. And, and, and this is hard in our culture. And the closest thing I can see just I thought was a great illustration of something that just happened the other day, not too long ago, with, with the, the inauguration of King Charles. I want you to watch this video clip of King Charles and his son, Prince Williams. Okay, understand this. King Charles is the king of England, of all that sort of stuff, Prince Charles' son. He's, he's his son, but he's also uh, Amish to him. Watch this clip real quick. I, William, Prince of Wales, pledge my loyalty to you and faith and truth I will bear unto you as your liege man of life and limb. So help me, God. Now listen, I'm not giving a stamp of approval on anything in that. But I want you to see the picture of reverence and relationship all tied into a moment. It's reverence because he's the king, and I will bow to him. I'll pay homage to him because he deserves it. This is what it is according to their tradition stuff. But he's also my father. And there's a relationship and a kiss on you. There, there's emotion tied to it. Too, too often we want God the father but neglect God the creator. And God deserves both. God deserves both. There, there's a tendency for us sometimes to be spoiled children without grasping what all father God truly means. He become spoiled and go, uh, and you neglect everything that he's done for us. And so, the question you have to ask yourself is this is Does my worship show respect and love towards God? Not, not just love, but respect, too. Is there a reverence in my way? Can I come to God? When I worship, is it just, man, I love you, but is there a reverence? Like, I'm singing to the God of the universe right now. Like, why you listen to me, I don't understand right now. This makes no sense, but you do. Now, not only do we show reverence towards God, we show reverence towards God's people. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, for whoever eats and drinks with what? Without recognizing the body. This is a strong reference to the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. He says, without recognizing. This means to discern, to show regard for. To, To worship God and show no regard for the body, for the people he died for, completely misses the point of what Jesus died for. God, I love you, but I don't care about them. And he's like, then you don't care about me. It's like people come say, man, Eric, I like you, but I can't stand your wife and kids. Like, then you don't like me because we have an issue. They're fairly closely tied to me. You can't say you love me and disregard them. You can't say you love me and see my family suffer. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. If you truly love me, you'll love what I love and love what I care for and love what I've given myself for. So the question comes to you is this, does my worship show respect and love towards God's people. As we try to isolate our faith and make it just about us, do you show reverence to God? Do you show reverence to God's people? Do, do you elevate them and say, I care for them? And so you hear this, well, and you say, well, how do I cultivate reverence in my life? And I love these, these are things brought by Warren Wiersbe, so i got to give credit to him. He, he says this, if you struggle with this, man, I just, I, just I, I get the love part, but the reverence part, I struggle with this. Listen to this, first and foremost, look. We should always look back when it comes to worshiping God. I love verse 23 through 25. He points out what Jesus did the night that he died, all that he gave, and he says he broke the bread. He's pointing back to what Jesus did in the last night with his disciples. He he looks back. The key word there is remembrance. You want to learn to show reverence, you look back. In other words, you remember who Jesus is and where you came from. Because sometimes we forget that, don't we? We sometimes forget that Jesus is not my home, but Jesus is the God of the universe to step down from heaven, die on the cross for my sins, and without him, I'd still be in that mess I was in. I was a lost cause without hope, and yet now I'm saved because of what Jesus did. We tend to forget that, and so what do we do, we, we can't forget and take granted. We have to remind ourselves of where we came from and where we've been. I don't know if I ever struggle this more than I do in my marriage sometimes where Emily and I look at ourselves now and God has blessed us we're grateful But we sit here and complain and gripe about stuff and we think about when we were first married, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. It's like, man, how did we make it? I remember being so broke. We didn't have, I mean, I remember our first anniversary, which is the first of January, January 7th, towards the beginning of the month, we would paid all our bills. We had 100 bucks to our name. That's all we had. We were as happy as could be. We didn't know any better. We're trying to figure out, we're looking in the phone book, trying to see what you could go do for free for an anniversary because we didn't know any better. I remember having our dog where she'd go warm up by the heater and we'd have her come under our blankets just so it was like our bed warmer to keep us warm. We were as broke as could be. We did not know when we sit here complaining about how tough times is. Why is it? Because we forget where we came from. Man, do you remember back? And my wife often goes, hey, do you remember? I go, no, I forgot all about that. I forgot all about that. God calls us to look back and remember where we came from. Second thing is this, we should look ahead. Not only should we look back, we should look ahead. I love what he says in verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The key word there is proclaim until he comes. It it means looking ahead. Looking ahead to remind us of where we still have to go. Sometimes we like to sit in life and worship God as though we have arrived. You have not arrived yet. God is still working. God is still doing stuff. You have not arrived. You still have work to do. You you miss that. Sometimes we treat church like a cruise ship when in reality it's a battleship. You're called to war to call to do something. I, I love Ed Newton as a camp speaker for kids, he came to years after years for Falls Creek, and he had this saying, and some of y'all don't probably remember, but that this was a key symbol he had. As a matter of fact, he had hold a microphone with a fork taped to it. It's a very weird thing. But his teaching was this, he said, I love, he said, when we go to restaurants, we'll eat at restaurants, we'll eat the main course, and and often they'll come and say, keep your fork. And my kids one time says, why do you want us to keep the fork? And the restaurant person said this, he said, because the best is still to come, referring to the dessert that's on the way. His kids all excited, holding the fork, waiting for the dessert to come because the best is still to come. Listen, sometimes in life we have to keep a fork mentality to understand, listen, the best is still to come. And sometimes we can get too complacent because we lose sight that we have not arrived yet. There is still a day to come. We are still called. In other words, listen, our work is unfinished, so don't let up now. Not only do we need to look back, do we need to look ahead, but we also need to look within. The key word he uses there is unworthy. That means to not ascribe worth or value to what is a we need to look inside ourselves and say, have I shown the proper reverence and worth to God in myself? Do, do I treat him as God? Do I treat him as the God and creator of the universe? Well, ask yourself this, have I given the cross its deserved, deserved value in my life? Or, or do I treat others' things as greater value? Do you show reverence to God in your attitude and your behavior? Too often we treat it like it's nothing and it doesn't matter to us. We treat it like my used junk I have sometimes. Every time we've had a car I've had to sell, i told Emily, I'm like, oh, we can't even give this stupid thing away. It's so like, oh, man, it's worth nothing. She's like, it's still worth, no, it's not worth anything. No one's going to buy this stinking car. So what I said about my Prius I had that you guys all like to make fun of me. And I'm like, I can't even give this thing away. And we went to a dealership, and they told me, you can't give this thing away. i like, I know, I'm trying to tell her. Would you convince her this is a worthless piece of junk? No one wants it. And she tells me, she says, would you just post it on Facebook Market? And so we post it. I made $3,000 more than I bought it three years before. And she goes, you see, I'm like, it's a coincidence. I will not let you win this argument. It's a coincidence. Listen, here's the thing. We, we sometimes treat Jesus and the cross the same thing we treat my cars. We look at it and go, I have this. Man, it really doesn't have value. And sometimes you need someone to say, listen, have you really looked at it in your life and seen the value of what the cross has done? Do you ascribe worth to who Jesus is? Because if not, he says this, listen, if you don't, we will be guilty concerning the body and the blood. He's saying you're just as bad as those who put Jesus on the cross. Just as bad as the people who had the Son of God right in front of them and did not see the worth of who it was. Last but not least is this. We should look around. He says in verse 21, he says, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks, uh, abuses the body more or less. The body is a reference to the church. It's discerning without care or regard for can, can I say this? Listen, you cannot worship God and neglect the church. I, I just find nowhere in Scripture where there's any support of that anywhere. In, in same sense, I'll say this. Wor- worship then, in a sense, can never be truly private. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be corporate. It's meant to be a part of other people. And if we come and worship and we see other people suffering and we're okay with that, we have issues with other people, there is an issue in our worship. There is something going on. We have not shown the reverence to God and his people as he's called us to. And how often are we okay with showing reverence to God but completely disregard the people around us? I really don't care. I don't, I don't want to be near him or nothing. Like any time before your worship, you should ask yourself two questions. Here it is. right this. First and foremost. Ready? Are they good? Before I worship God, the people in this room, man, are they good? I see they're crying. I see they're hurting. I'm not going to ignore that and just go on with my life and worship God and act like it's okay. Like if you walked up to me and saw one of my daughters crying, I'm not going to have, I I hope you would take a second and say, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? We need to take care of this right here. Don't believe me? There's a whole parable Jesus used about the good Samaritan. Is a situation where people are on their way to church, if you will, to the service. And the two religious people who you think would stop go, Ugh, I know you're suffering. I know you're hurting, guy. But I gotta keep on my way. I got stuff to do." And it was the Samaritan that stopped and cared for him. Why? Because God wants us to care for His people. And so you have to ask yourself: Are they okay? But secondly, here's the more important one. Listen: Are we good? How often do we have issues with people in the room, and we just let those things fester and say it's not a big deal? I, I, I don't like them. As long as long as I stay on their side and my side, we're okay. Listen, no parent would want that. God doesn't want that. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus would say this. Listen, so if you're offering a gift on the altar, if you're coming to worship God at church, in other words, And you remember there, as you go, your brother or sister has something against you. You have an issue with your brother or sister in Christ. This is what? Leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and reconcile with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. God's saying this, listen, if you have an issue with someone, stop what you're doing, deal with them, then come talk to me. But don't come to me and act like we're good when you're not going to talk to them. How often do we just don't show the reverence to people that? Are they good? Are we good? You see, at the end of the day, listen, it comes this. Worship should always show reverence. If you start your worship to God, and it does not end with some sense of you being in awe of who God is. There's not some sense of humility in who you are. There's not some sense of like, (laughs) I can't believe right now. I am speaking and talking to the God, like who am I that kind of says you are not worshiping you're not coming to a place to truly understand who this is I'll tell you you are worshiping but it's it's not God it's a God of your own making it's a God that looks a lot like you it's a God that looks a lot like Jesus is my homeboy I'll say this for, for my generation this is something that we've lost I'll say we're very good about the relationship aspect and pursuing that, but the reverence is lost. And something we gotta get back. And, and so I say this listen, you, you may love God, but do you revere him? Do you show him the respect, the dignity, the reverence he deserves? Because understand this, listen, God is not your peer. God, God is not your equal. God is not waiting on your time to come and, and bend his ear for first so you can be do that. God is your God. And we worship him. He deserves that respect, that honor, that reverence. What well, will you worship God today? Here's second, we're going to have an opportunity to do it. I'm going to tell you two things we've learned so far. Is if at the end of it, you don't come to a point where you're focusing on God and you have not seen reverence. You don't have reverence for who he is or who's around you. Something's off in your worship. Something's off. It's not about the song we sing. It's not about the lights being dimmed a certain way. It's not about the mood or the spirit going on. It it starts with that sense of am I focusing? Is my attention fully on God? Is he deserving that? Some of you can never get to that point right now. You know why? Because there there is something separating you from God. It's your sin. And if you have not come and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he, he is not your God right now. He wants to be. So much so that he sent his one only son to die on the cross for your sins, that much love for you. But it's a gift you have to choose to receive. And the more you worship, the more hypocritical it is. And today there's freedom, there's hope that you can come and receive this gift. And we're going to pray and have an opportunity, and myself and the other elders and leaders will be available for you to come respond. And maybe you come to realize, listen, I've never given my life, I've never called him Lord, I've never called him God, and I want that. And the beauty is you'll come to find him be father as well in your life. Some of you who are children of God, You've taken for granted what you have had and it's time to show reverence for them. So I'm going to ask if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a second to pray just to reflect on whatever I said today struck a note in your heart.